So the Apostle Paul made this famous confession. He said these words, I want to do what's right, but I don't do it. He said this in his letter to the Romans, chapter 7, verse 15. And um, those are really powerful words. It's a powerful confession if you think about the fact that for many people, they say that this was the greatest Christian who ever walked the face of the earth. And here he is saying, I want to do what's right, but I don't. I don't do it. I think his words capture the frustration of many of us, don't they? I mean, we want to do the right thing, don't we? We would all agree to that. We want to do what's right. But how often do we find ourselves not doing it? I mean, I don't know, but many of us are going to get into our cars tomorrow morning and we are going to start that morning commute somewhere. And we're going to start battling those crazy other DC drivers all stressed out, everybody trying to get the same place all at the same time. And, um, you know, maybe for you, you're going to wake up tomorrow morning and you're going to decide today is the day. Today is the day that I'm not going to have road rage. Today is the day where my blood pressure is going to stay at a normal level. Today is the day where I'm not going to lay on the horn at anybody. I'm not going to cut anybody off in traffic. I'm not going to lose my mind. And you start out, you want to do what's right. You get about five, ten minutes into it and some idiot, you know, swings in and cuts you off or blocks the box or whatever it is. We all know the frustrating things. And all of a sudden, we no longer want to be like Jesus at all, do we? I mean, we have completely lost our religion and lost our mind. And here's the thing. We want to do what's right, but we don't do it. And this isn't just about traffic. I mean, this is about just every aspect of life, isn't it? I mean, think about it just in terms of like taking care of yourself, okay? So we all know we have different gauges and ways that we take care of ourselves, things we've got to keep an eye on. We all want to take care of ourselves physically. We want to eat right. We want to keep our bodies in good shape. But how often do we not? We all want to keep up our, you know, keep up mentally, keep up spiritually. We want to do the right thing, but we don't. Think about your relationships. How often in relationships do you know the right thing to do and you actually want to do the right thing in the relationship and then you end up not doing it? And it's actually not even just about wanting to do the right thing. Oftentimes, because we're smart, we're Washingtonians, right? We're educated people. It's not just about the motivation that we want to do the right thing. We actually even know how to do the right thing. We have the steps. We've taken the class. We, we have the strategy. So when we get on the road Monday morning, you know, we've got our good playlist, good vibes playlist all queued up on Spotify, don't we? We've got our favorite podcast loaded on the radio, okay? But, but we, we just, even though we want to, and even we know strategies to do it, we still don't do it. It's crazy. So the last couple of weeks, we have been um, exploring Romans chapter 6 and Romans chapter uh, 7 and Paul's writing, and he's been talking about how to overcome sin. And in chapter 6, he gives us this great principle, this great strategy that, okay, so it's not just about not doing the thing, because when we try not to do the thing, 
we focus on, okay, I'm just not going to do that thing. What, what do we end up doing? We, we end up doing the thing. Or at the very least, we become like obsessed with the thing and we're like miserable the whole day, just trying not to do the thing. So the principle that we explored two weeks ago was that instead of trying to just avoid the positive and not think about the, po- I'm sorry, instead of trying to avoid the negative and just not think about that negative thing, we instead want to focus positive. Or as Paul said two weeks ago, we read, but rather offer yourselves to God. Push in a positive direction. Pursue what God has for you. Be a difference maker. Be a world changer. And I'm so excited to report that, you know, we, we talked about an easy way to do that at Grace is to push in to our volunteer teams. Be a part of what God is doing here, changing lives. Like, like Brianna's life. We just saw her story a couple of minutes ago. And over 130 of you guys, 130 people plus, said, yeah, I'm going to push into something positive. That, that's awesome. That's an incredible step. That's part of the strategy. We looked at some more strategies, some more practical stuff last week in Romans chapter 7. So in our struggle to overcome sin, one of the things, the principle we, we saw Paul doing, and it's a great reminder for us, is we can't do this alone. So the power of confession, letting people know, letting people into our lives. Yeah, here's, here's my struggle. Here's what's going on. The second that you do that, all of a sudden sin just loses its power. You have people who are helping you in the journey and in the struggle. It's, it's incredibly powerful. And we, we see Paul doing it in his letter. So we have these strategies, right? So it's not just that we want to do the right thing. We actually have practical stuff that we can do, tactics, to be able to do those right things. And yet, here's the crazy thing. We want to do what's right, but we don't do it. The struggle is real. And as we looked at last week, Paul, he's basically been just confessing. Yeah, I'm struggling. This is killing me. I can't do it. And that's essentially where Romans chapter 7 ends. So this is fascinating. The very first words of his next chapter of his letter start this way, okay? I'm struggling. It's killing me. We want to do what's right. We don't do it. And this is the next thing Paul writes. So now, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. There's a reason why this is one of the most powerful quotes from the Apostle Paul. One of the most powerful verses you'll find in the New Testament. He's saying that for those who belong to Christ Jesus, those who have come to believe that Jesus is actually the Son of God who died for our sins, when when we profess faith and when we start following Jesus, that's what makes us someone who belongs to Jesus. That for those of us who've done that, Even though we struggle, even though we fail, we're not condemned. There is no condemnation. That's so reassuring. Some of us, we we just can't shake the guilt. And Paul's saying, the guilt is gone. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He continues, verse 2, And because you belong to him, to Jesus, the power of the life-giving spirit, we'll come back to the spirit in a minute, has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. So Paul says, we're free from the power of sin. Now the question is, how? How are we free? 
And Paul's going to explain that in verses 3 and 4. And I just want to let you know that if you're here and you're just kind of taking a look at Christianity, maybe you didn't grow up in church or you're still you know, trying to figure out this whole Jesus thing, um, verses 3 and 4 are really the essence of Christianity. There's something that's known as the gospel or the good news, but this is what Christianity is all about, right here explained by Paul. So this is how we're free. He says, the law of Moses, which is, which is basically like all the laws and the commandments that God's people were supposed to follow, the law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So what, what Paul is saying there is that all of these laws, all of these commands, all of these things, the, the way we're supposed to live life according to God's standard. Okay, now God's standard, right, it's perfection, it's holiness. So all of these laws and commands that, that we're supposed to follow, that didn't work. That didn't save us because of our sinful nature. We're inherently flawed. We're, not a single one of us is perfect. Okay, if you are, I want to meet you after the service, okay? So, um, but no one that I've ever met is perfect. And so, basically, just trying to follow these, these perfect instructions, these guidelines, these standards, um, not a single one of us can, can get to the level where we're on equal footing with God. And so, because of that, it's, the law wasn't able to save us, he says. So God did, and this is the essence of Christianity, so God did what the law could not do. So it's not about us doing something. It's not about us living the right way or satisfying a bunch of stuff, helping a bunch of old ladies across the street. It's never going to do it. Okay? He says, God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son, referring to Jesus, in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us. So basically, what Paul is reminding us is that we can't meet this standard. There's no way. God's standard, shoot, I don't even meet my own standards, guys. You know what I'm saying? Let alone God's standards. Let's just be real. So he's saying, we could never get there. So guess what? God said, I am going to satisfy the requirement for you. That's coming in the person of Jesus Christ, who lived the perfect life, who did what we could not do, in order that we would be declared perfect, we would be considered righteous in the eyes of God. So the crazy thing about Christianity is it's kind of bad news, insane news. The bad news is you can't get there on your own. The insane, amazing, incredible good news is you're already in, just say thank you. You know, the, the door's already open. Just walk through it. It's already been done for you. It's pretty mind-blowing if you've never really heard that or understood it before. So it's been fully satisfied for us. Who, he's talking about us, we no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. Okay, so Paul's mentioned the Spirit a couple of times. And so when he's talking about the Spirit, just so we're all on the same page here, uh, I want to go back to, to what Jesus teaches about the Spirit that Paul's talking about. So um, one of uh, the gospel accounts of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, 
John, so it's John's gospel account. John was one of Jesus' disciples, um, was recording uh, the teachings and, and the different accounts of Jesus. And so um, Jesus was speaking to his disciples and he was telling them, he goes, guys, I got some bad news for you. Um, I'm going to have to leave you. I'm going to actually be laying down my life right? Going back to what we just talked about to satisfy this requirement. And, um, and in order to swallow up all sin and death, okay? So that everyone would be made right in the eyes of God. So it's bad news for them in the sense of he's leaving them. Okay. And they're like, what are we going to do? How's this going to work? They start freaking out. I love the disciples because they're just constantly freaking out. It's amazing. So, so here they are, they're losing their minds and like, whoa, Jesus, you can't leave us. And he says, guys, John 14, 16 through 17. He said, I'll ask the Father, it's our Heavenly Father, and He will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive Him because it isn't looking for Him and doesn't recognize Him. But you know Him because He lives with you now, and later, He's speaking of after. He is crucified and resurrected and later will be in you. So what Jesus is, is explaining to them and to us is that the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Jesus who was God, living inside of those who've professed faith in him. So let me just give you a little recap of Romans uh, eight, one through four. Okay. So basically what Paul is saying is, look, even though we struggle, right, we want to do what's right. And yet we don't do it. Even though we struggle, we can take heart because first of all, we're not condemned. And secondly, we are free verse two to follow the spirit of God. Verse four, living inside of us. With that in mind, he continues in verse five. He says, those who are dominated by the sinful nature, think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit, think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. Pretty dramatic there, Paul. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always, check this out, hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws and it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. Man, that's harsh, isn't it? Can never please God. What, what is up with that? Why is Paul so harsh here about the sinful nature? Well, here's the deal. The sinful nature... And if you go back to the original Greek language where we, where we get uh, the translation, it's the word sarks. And if you've been coming to Grace for a while, you've heard uh, John teach about this. But our sarks is our selfishness. It's, it's the self in us that wants self-gratification, right? It wants, it, it just, it just, it's just all about me all the time. And so that sarks in us, the reason that it is so... Um, hostile to God, and the reason why it can't please God is because, think about it, that stands in polar opposite to the very nature of God. God is pure, unconditional love. 
God is self-giving by definition, completely selfless. But in our sinful nature, in our sarks, in our selfishness, we're all about us. So, so that's why we just stand in direct opposition to God's nature when we're living in our sinful nature and our selfishness. Paul continues, verse 9. So, you know, he's saying, man, if you're controlled by this, you're, you know, you're never going to please God, you're hostile to God. And then he says, but you're not controlled by your sinful nature. Now, some of us may be like, I sure feel like I am. My goodness. Well, maybe we feel like it. And maybe when we look at our track record, we see a lot of places where it seems like that sarks in us sure had control of us. But Paul is reminding us of a spiritual reality. And that is that ultimately we're not controlled by that sarks in us. He says, rather, you are controlled by the spirit if you have the spirit of God living in you. And then, give a little parenthesis here, and remember that those who do not have the spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to him at all. What Paul is simply reminding his readers, because he would have some readers who were Christians who put their faith in Jesus, and he had other readers who were just kind of there trying to figure this whole thing out, is he's just saying, hey, just, just as a reminder, guys, this whole Holy Spirit thing, the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of God in you, that's something that's exclusively reserved for those who've placed their faith in Jesus. He continues, verse 10, and Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. And then we come to verse 11, and you guys, this is an awesome verse. This is the verse that I just want everybody to just focus on for a second. Check this out. It's so powerful. He says, The Spirit of God, who raised Jesus from the dead, lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. So, as we struggle, as we want to do what's right, and we even know what the right thing is, but then we end up not doing it. As we struggle, Paul wants us to remember this truth. The spirit of the living God is alive and well inside you if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ. That is amazing. The same spirit that raised Jesus back to life is alive and well in you. Now, that's kind of mind-blowing, right? I mean, the, for, for many of us, like, that doesn't even make sense. Yeah, it doesn't really make sense, okay? This is, this is crazy stuff. But here's the reality, Okay? Jesus Christ said it. Okay, we, we read it just a few minutes ago. He said it. He said that he's giving us his spirit. It's going to be in us always. Now, here's the reality. I don't really understand that. I can't explain the mechanics of it. But what I do know is, and I've heard it said this way, it's kind of, kind of fun. There's only one person in human history who's successfully predicted and pulled off his own death and resurrection. Okay? So if, if he can do that, he's going to get some cred 
And I'm just basically going to take him in his word. Because I don't know if there's anybody else who's successfully predicted and pulled off their own death and resurrection. But if they have, they deserve to be heard. Okay? That's kind of some proof that they should be heard. So this is what he said. His spirit in us, if we believe. I know it's crazy. And this is the power that we have in the struggle. Okay? We can have strategies. We can have tactics. We can avoid thinking about white bears and we can focus all day long on red Volkswagens. Okay? We can confess until we can't talk anymore. We can apply strategies all we want, but we all know that sometimes we need a power. We need something beyond ourselves. And this power through the spirit of the living God that raised Jesus from the dead is the power that ultimately enables us to lose our sarks, to lose our selfishness, and to live and to love the way God does. Have you guys ever experienced this power? Have you ever had a sense that there was something else that was happening inside of you that you couldn't really explain in just kind of human terms? I got to tell you, I have. I haven't experienced it a lot, okay? I wish I had, you know, hundreds of stories. I don't. I only have a few, but I can tell you one of them. It was so powerful for me. Um, And it was a time when I was really struggling um, in my relationship with my dad. Um, You know, just through some things that he had done, some decisions that he had made um, that were very hurtful to me and uh, I thought had incredibly negative consequences on our family, um, I decided that that was it. I was just going to cut him off out of my life completely. Just no more. And that lasted for over a year. And and I got to tell you, It felt good. It felt really good. I mean, the sarks in me, right, that self, felt completely justified. I felt like this was justice being served. I was righting wrongs. I was empowered. It was awesome. There was just one small problem. And that is that um, not too long before that, I had uh, been going to a church very similar to Grace. Uh, It was a place where it was safe to ask questions and have doubts. And really, it was a a safe place where you could explore faith. And um, and so I was a real skeptic. I got dragged along by my girlfriend. I didn't really want to be there at first, but, you know, I loved her and I was trying to be supportive. And so um, so I I started checking it out. And I'm a huge skeptic. Um, didn't believe at all. I was pretty much just an agnostic. Um, but I started investigating the claims of Jesus, his teachings, um, looking at the evidence outside of the Bible and outside of Christianity for the uh, existence and relevance of, of Jesus. And after quite a long journey, I actually came to a place where I was like, oh my goodness, like this just logically lines up. I mean, if you look at it, there's so much evidence. There's so much weight to this. Um, I truly believe that Jesus uh, existed and that he, the claims that he claimed are true. And um, so I put my faith in Jesus, came to believe, yes, he is who he said he was. And, um, and then I was going to, to church um, most Sundays when I could make it. And um, I, I got to tell you, the, the, the real problem with my plan of, you know, cutting my dad out of my life and, and all that, and it felt so good, 
Um, you've really got to watch out with the whole church thing, okay? I just want to warn you, church can really mess you up. Because it really messed me up. So, you know, the thing with church, and, and if you're not much of a church person, I'm just going to clue you in on something. A church has a hidden agenda, okay? You ready for it? I'm just going to tell you, and you can leave after I tell you, if you want, if you think it's manipulative. The church, like all the time, like every single Sunday service, is trying to take the focus, to have you take the focus off of yourself and onto Jesus. I'm serious. Like, all the time. So I'm going to the church, and man, they're manipulating me. Constantly, I'm, I'm being encouraged not to think about me, but instead to follow Jesus and do the things that he taught and, and give, submit authority to him and do all sorts of crazy, counterintuitive, illogical things. And I start doing these things. And many of them were amazing. But, you know, the dad thing was kind of off limits. I mean, I, you know... I made my decision on that one. Well, it's really frustrating because, you know, if we really do have the spirit inside of us, and I can't really explain it any other way other than maybe I was having some sort of like multiple personality disorder or something, but all of a sudden now there's this other voice in my head. And I swear it wasn't my voice, but I don't know. And it's just nagging me. And it's like, Derek, you know, You've accepted, you know, the unconditional love of God. Not the conditional love, but the unconditional love of God. You've received his forgiveness and his grace and his mercy. And this nagging voice, just week after week after week after week after week, that just kept hitting me, was, so aren't you supposed to extend that unconditional love to other people? Aren't you supposed to extend that forgiveness to others? That grace to other people? I didn't like that voice. <laughs> didn't like it at all. And um, it just came at me all the time. And I got to tell you, I got to a place where I recognized that that was what I was supposed to do. But there was nothing in me that wanted to do it. Nothing. And um, in almost kind of bizarre, it sounds weird just to say it out loud, but it was almost like against my will. I set up a meeting with my dad um, to get together, and I knew it was to try and get together to forgive him. Um, and I got to tell you, it was such a surreal experience for me. I, I don't know if you've ever had a time like this in your life, but I was, I was speaking, and words were coming out of my mouth, I didn't have the words. I didn't know what I was going to say before. And it was like, as they were being spoken out into the room, that was like I was hearing them for the first time. It was, it was just so surreal because there was nothing in me that wanted to do this. But it, I truly believe it was the Spirit of God in me. The Apostle Paul, we read this a few minutes ago in, in Romans 8, 6. He says, this is so profound. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. You guys, truer words have never been spoken, at least as far as it goes for my life. I got to tell you, before I forgave my dad, um, I felt really justified but man, I was absolutely tormented. I mean, I would wake up in cold sweats in the middle of the night. I, my, my 
just, I was just amped all the time in a not good way. You know what I'm saying? It was not good. Um, you know, this idea of it leads to death, it's, it's kind of like what Paul's saying is it's a dead end road. When it's all about us, it's a dead end road. And it was for me. But he says, letting the spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. Oh man, I got to tell you, that was a, a defining moment in my life that day with my dad. And I'd love to tell you that, you know, man, it was all wine and roses. From the moment I uttered the words, I forgive you. It wasn't. It was awkward, weird for years as the, our relationship built. And we've got an amazing relationship today. Really, really good relationship. It took a long time. But you know what? That day, I started leaving the road that leads to death, the dead end road. And I started on the road of life and peace. And I could feel it. I mean, my life was just so much better. And here's the deal. God wants the absolute best for us. You know that, right? God wants the very best for you. He wants life and peace for you. And he's actually offering his spirit to you to help you overcome these struggles. But here's the thing. He offers his spirit, but he also gives us free will, right? I mean, he doesn't want a bunch of robots. God wants us to live our lives. He wants us to freely make choices and decisions. And so, yes, we have his spirit in us. Yes, we can choose to be controlled by it, but we have to, we have to make that decision. So, very simple today. I want to leave you with a thought, okay? Because this really is what Paul is saying. We got to give God control. Are you allowing room for the spirit to move in your life? Are you giving God control? Now, some of you, instantly, you're like, yes, I got it. Totally know what that means for me. Yes, I know what I got to do. There's others of you, and you're like, give God control. Allow the spirit to move. Like, what does that look like? Give me something. Can we, can we give an example? Can we be a little specific? Okay, so let me give you an example that Paul uses in this passage. He says in verse 5, those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit, Think about things that please the Spirit, okay? You want practical, you want an example, here we go. Think about things that please the Spirit. That's how we start inviting God to have control and the Spirit to move. So it, what does it look like? It looks like this. Maybe it's just a real honest conversation with God. Just say, God, I know what's pleasing to me. That's pretty easy. But what's pleasing to you? That's borrowing directly from Paul's language, but maybe if you don't like that, here's another way you could do it. God, I know what I want, but what do you want? What do you want in this situation? I'm struggling here, God. What would you have me do? That's, that's inviting the spirit to move. That's allowing God to take control. And this is powerful no matter where we are on the spiritual spectrum, okay? So if you're just here and you're like, wait, the spirit inside of me and faith in Jesus and what the heck? Okay, don't even worry about that right now. Just start with just asking a very simple question. God, if you're there, what would you have me do? What would be pleasing to you? And start trying to live that way. For those of us 
who have a deeper sense of this awareness of the spirit inside of us. I want to leave you with one last thing. So when he says, think about things that please the spirit, in the Greek, that word is phreneo, for think about, phreneo. And that Greek word phreneo really means to have settled into a way of understanding. So it's not like a casual question. It's a posture. It's an attitude. It's being in tune with. So we have a great sense of understanding. So I just want you just for a second to imagine if tomorrow morning everybody got up and got in their cars and as they started driving to work, the moment that their sarks started to take over, if instead they said, Spirit, what's pleasing to you? And they really were in tune with the Spirit of God in them. Could you imagine what that would look like? Well, it starts with us. Let me pray for you. God, um, we sure want to do what's right. But so often, God, I know for me and many others here, we struggle to do the right thing. Help us, God. Help us to stay in tune with you. God, please help us to give you control, to allow the spirit to move and operate in our lives so that we can experience less of that selfish nature and more of what it means to be like you. In Christ's name, amen.